It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, June 6th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Today's California report gives us a helpful roundup of the state's voting guidelines. And we get a front row seat at the first listening session of California's Reparations Task Force. Then National Native News answers the question, Whose face will you soon see on your quarters? The Cherokee Nation and U.S. Mint celebrate the Department of Treasury's newest edition. We'll take a look at local news and weather before science correspondent Al Stoller takes us to space. That's coming up in the next half hour. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Tomorrow is primary election day in California, or rather the last day of voting, because many people have already voted by mail or have cast their ballot at vote centers. Polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Californians using mail-in ballots must have them postmarked by June 7th. They can also be dropped off at polling places or secured ballot drop-off boxes. Not registered to vote yet? Well, same-day registration is also an option in California, but those ballots will be counted after officials have completed their voter verification process. To vote in Tuesday's primary election, Californians must be at least 18 years old and a U.S. citizen, but you don't need to have a permanent address to cast a ballot. CAP Radio's Chris Nichols has more on how people experiencing homelessness can vote. Sacramento County election officials have already sent out more than 450 ballots to unhoused residents who live at shelters or use a service provider's address. But County Spokesperson Jana Haynes says People who are homeless can also register at any local vote center, and they don't have to submit a numerical address. It can be an intersection, a, you know, a street corner, a park, or some other identifiable landmark that they are used to, that they reside by, and we can issue them a ballot in their name in that specific precinct so that they can cast a ballot for the election. Chris Williams spent several years living on the streets but now has a home. While he didn't vote then, he says more unhoused people should. If you want some change, you have to say something. You have to vote. You have to tell somebody you want to vote. You have to figure out how to input your little foot in there and make some type of change. Californians, no matter their address, can register to vote up to and including on Election Day. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. Recently, a few dozen black Californians gathered in Oakland to discuss their visions for reparations. It was the first listening session hosted by the state task force studying reparations for descendants of enslaved Americans. The task force has already heard from academics and other experts about how state sanctioned discrimination has affected the lives of black Californians. The task force released a report on those findings last week. Now in partnership with community groups, the task force is exploring what state reparations might consist of. And to answer that question, it's using these community listening sessions like the one in Oakland. KQED was at the first listening session and here's some of what we heard. My father was born in Mobile, Alabama. My mom was born in Macomb, Mississippi. They still remember Cujo Lewis, one of the last slaves to be brought over from 
West Africa. Preparation should look like people working together so then we can actually achieve the goal. And I thank you for letting an old Asian lady um, be able to speak up here um, because I really do believe oppression on any group of folks is really harmful to everybody's lives and souls. Because we're trying to bring a people out of the hole that slavery and Jim Crow and all of that terrorism within the United States has brought them. We talk about reparations for enslavement, Jim Crow, and now, and reparations, what does it look like? Compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition at least. When we talk about 40 acres and a mule, order number 15 from General Sherman, what we're talking about is expropriation of land. That was an order from the United States military, and the military is now sending $40 billion over to Ukraine, but they didn't give us our land yet. My great-grandfather was a sharecropper, but really what I came up here to say is, uh, I'm a businessman and all I care about is the numbers. I care about cutting the check. The cost of reducing class sizes so that our kids can get the personal attention and the support that they need, that to me would be one of the ways in which we can provide reparations. Because when this boat rises for black folk, it rises for everybody. I mean, I think black folk, you know, we're still here. Uh, we've lost half of our population in the last um, 30 years or so, but it's, we're still here. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is a question um, around the genealogy work. And we're talking about Blacks who have descended from American chattel slavery, and that's an important distinction, right? Because these are legal claims that we're asking and bringing to the government. I think that's an important part that you do not hear necessarily and why a lineage standard is so essential versus a racial standard. We have been here for a very long time, and as one of the representatives that we helped said, when she puts her fingers in the soil, she can feel the blood of her ancestors there. When you go back and actually make these discoveries, it repairs something in you. It takes a separation and it brings it back together. And what this coalition is doing is a Herculean effort. And I have full faith that we'll all come into fruition. But I want to remind us, come hell or high water, we will survive. That is what we do. Those were the voices of people who spoke at the first listening session of California's Reparations Task Force. Our thanks to Amanda Font, who produced it, and Annalise Finney, who contributed reporting. The next task force listening session will be held in L.A.'s Lamert Park neighborhood over Juneteenth weekend. The task force's plan for reparations is expected to be released in the summer of 2023. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Monday, June 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In tonight's National Native News, the Cherokee Nation and the U.S. Mint are celebrating the latest release in the American Women Quarters program. The quarter is one of five designs highlighting trailblazing American women. Find out whose face you'll soon see in your change, coming up. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A large data center could be built near Polson, Montana in the coming years. As Aaron Bolton reports, the proposal was pitched during a technology summit last week. Entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary, also known as Mr. Wonderful on the TV show Shark Tank, announced at the summit held in Bozeman his investment firm is working with the Bitcoin mining company BitZero and the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes to potentially build the data center. The demand for these centers is insatiable all around the world. And the states that have figured this out, that have good policy, have wind, have hydro, have solar. This is the future. O'Leary said the center could provide services to Bitcoin miners and data storage for other web-based services. Most of the power to the facility would come from the Salish Kootenai Dam south of Polson on the Flathead Reservation. CSKT Tribal Council Secretary Martin Charlo says the tribes are interested in the jobs the center could provide for locals. Our tribes have always been a people of vision, and I believe that Kevin and um, Mr. Danes and, and Governor Jim Forte and Akbar um, are all bringing uh, this great vision to us. While the tribes say they haven't committed to the project, they'll continue looking into the data center to see if it's a viable business opportunity. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. A candlelight vigil is planned Monday night in front of the White Mountain Apache Police Department in Arizona for fallen officer Adrian Lopez, who was killed during an officer-involved shooting last week on the Fort Apache Reservation. According to police, Lopez was conducting a traffic stop Thursday night when an altercation occurred between the officer and the person operating the vehicle. Lopez was fatally shot during the altercation. The suspect then took his police vehicle and fled the scene. The suspect was pursued by police and was involved in a gun battle where the suspect was killed. Another officer was shot and transported to a Phoenix hospital for treatment. A memorial has been set up for Lopez in front of the White Mountain Apache Police Department. Lopez started with the department in January. His family flew in from California over the weekend and told ABC 15 they're grateful to the community for their support and plan to take Lopez back home to the L.A. area. Meanwhile, the Navajo Nation is providing law enforcement assistance. Ten Navajo police officers took the oath of office from a White Mountain Apache judge last week, which allows them to patrol and perform public safety duties on the Fort Apache Reservation while the tribe mourns the loss of Officer Lopez. The tribe is also receiving city, county, state, and federal support. 
The Cherokee Nation and the U.S. Mint are hosting a public event Monday to celebrate the release of the Wilma Mankiller Quarter. The quarter is one of five designs for the first coins in the American Women Quarters program. The four-year program highlights the accomplishments and contributions of trailblazing American women, including in areas of civil rights, government, humanities, science, space, and the arts. Mankiller was the first woman elected principal chief of the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma and a well-known advocate for Native Americans and women's rights. The coin's design depicts Mankiller with a resolute glaze wrapped in a shawl and the seven-pointed stars of the Cherokee Nation. The inscriptions on the coin in English are United States of America, Wilma Mankiller, and Principal Chief. The coin's inscription of the Cherokee Nation is in the Cherokee syllabary. The release of the Mankiller Quarter is the third coin in the program. The celebration is taking place in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. The U.S. Mint and the National Women's History Museum will hold a film screening and panel discussion on Mankiller in Washington, D.C. on Friday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. If you have yet to cast your ballot, Nevada County's website lists several drop-off locations for the June 7th elections. These include, but are not limited to, Briar Patch Food Co-op off Sierra College Drive, Chicago Park Store off Colfax Highway, the Eric Rood Center, Sweetland Garden Mercantile in North San Juan, Holiday Market off Pleasant Valley Road in Penn Valley, and the Truckee Town Hall. You can find a full list of drop-off locations and hours at nevadacounty.ca.gov. Two applicants appealing a decision against granting them a cannabis dispensary permit could be headed to a formal hearing. Retired Judge Albert Dover, appointed by the city to oversee the process, recommended last month that the Grass Valley City Council hold a hearing. The council can now adopt that recommendation, amend it, or send it back to Dover for more work. Several applicants wanted the permit, though the city granted it to only one. Provisions Development, LLC, Sierra Flower Co., LLC, and NUG, Inc., doing business as NUG Grass Valley, then appealed the decision. If the council accepts Judge Dover's recommendation, it will likely be part of the June 28th council agenda. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. The Bureau of Land Management Motherload Field Office has issued seasonal fire restrictions effective today for all BLM-managed public lands in several counties, including Nevada, Placer, Sacramento, and El Dorado. The increased restrictions include no campfires, barbecues, or open fires. No target shooting except with a California hunting license and in accordance with hunting regulations. 
and no motorized vehicles or tools powered by internal combustion engines off designated roads or trails. These include chainsaws or lawnmowers. The BLM Motherload Field Office ended their press release with the reminder that on average, human-caused wildfires make up 95% of all wildfires in California. Continuing on with fire use restrictions, the Nevada Irrigation District will implement restrictions at their Foothill Recreational Facilities beginning Tuesday, June 7th. Campfires will be prohibited in campgrounds around Scotts Flat Reservoir and Rollins Reservoir. Open fires fueled by wood or charcoal are prohibited. However, propane-fueled portable cooking stoves are still allowed at this time. The fire restrictions will be implemented at Scotts Flat Campground, Orchard Springs Campground, Long Ravine Campground, and Peninsula Campground. Turning our attention to regional weather, for those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 52. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 83. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 39. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 76. The National Weather Service announced a special weather statement for the Tahoe-Truckee area. This Thursday welcomes summer's first extended heat wave. Expect highs well into the 90s in western Nevada and into the 80s for Sierra communities. Friday has the potential to set some new records. There's a chance that Reno could hit 100 degrees. Hot temperatures mean rises in Sierra creeks and streams from snowmelt. Be prepared for higher flows of cold water. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 58. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 93. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Humanity is slowly, very slowly, learning how to live in space. Science correspondent Al Stoller explains the latest step taken this weekend. If I may be permitted to state the obvious, living aboard a space station is an unearthly experience. We on Earth, spinning once every 24 hours, we see the sun rise, then set just once in that 24 hours. Astronauts aboard the space station circle the Earth in an hour and a half. They see the sun rise, then see the sun set, rise and set 16 times in 24 hours. Forget about setting your body clock by the sun. Just as strange, our bodies seem to need gravity. Flying weightless in space, an astronaut's blood rises to his or her head. Without the need to support any weight, muscles deteriorate. Bone disintegrates. Needing to keep astronauts healthy, NASA pays volunteers here on Earth to lie in bed for months, not getting up to walk, to pee, not even sitting up. These extreme couch potatoes, bed potatoes, experience many of the same problems that astronauts suffer. Their muscle mass drops, their bones grow weak. Astronauts aboard the space station spend two plus hours a day on exercise machines. Since barbell weights weigh nothing in space, Astronauts do reps, repetitions, against bungee cords, and bungees pull them down onto a treadmill for walking or jogging. Even though they're exercising two-plus hours a day, when astronauts return to Earth, they've still got less muscle 
and less bone than when they launched. But exercise on Earth increases muscle mass, makes bones stronger. Maybe the problem is no one knows how much exercise is needed for that to work in space. Perhaps drugs will be found to fool the body into making more muscle, more bone. China is playing a very fast game of catch-up in space. This weekend, the Chinese launched three Taikonauts on a mission to complete the assembly of a new space station. If you've seen the International Space Station fly over the foothills, you know how bright it is, how much sunlight reflects off the glass covering its half-acre-plus of solar panels. The Chinese space station is smaller than the International Space Station, and its solar array is smaller too, nowhere near a half-acre of glass. The solar panels aboard the Chinese space station do not reflect nearly as much light as those of the ISS. But the Chinese station will still be bright enough to spot as it flies over the foothills next Sunday, before dawn. Like all space stations, the Chinese Tiangong circles Earth from west to east. Tiangong will be at its highest, nearly straight up, a bit toward the south-southeast, at 4.18 Pacific Daylight Time next Sunday. So get out a few minutes before 4.18. Look high, almost straight up, and a bit toward the south-southeast. You should spot China's latest entry in the space race. Again, that's 4.18 a.m. next Sunday. For KVMR News, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Monday, June 6th. Visit us online at kvmr.org for anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from the State of California and the California Earned Income Tax Credit, informing Nevada County's Hispanic population that filing taxes can support the immigration process, provide access to public programs, also yield possible tax credits and returns. More information, mycaleitc.org. And Ubidoc's Urgent Care, since 2000, providing walk-in medical and urgent care, accepting most insurance, open 8 to 6 Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Saturdays and holidays, located in the Fowler Center, Grass Valley, ubidox.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. At 6.30, we have Disability Wrap with co-hosts Carl Sigmund and Carly Pacheco. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.